Hey, listener, Zach Harper here. Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. Also, fastest growing fantasy app in the industry. Here's how it works. The Pick'em Game. Pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower stat total in this week's game for a chance to win big. How big, you ask? I'm so glad you asked that question, listener. You can win up to 100 times your money in a single night. Pick between two and five players. Build a pick'em entry. You can also do rivals picks. You can put like Tyrese Halliburton and Jalen Brunson against each other. And whoever has more points, more assists, more rebounds, whatever you want to do, that is your rivals pick. I would maybe go with Jalen Brunson in these playoffs. By the way, in the regular season, Jalen Brunson, scoring tear, going higher on his point totals all the time. Joel Embiid, whenever he did actually play, higher on his scoring totals all the time. Victor Wembanyama for the next 15, 20 years, here's a pro tip for you. Take higher on the blocks. That's right. So you're probably wondering, how do you sign up? Oh my God, listener, you are full of good questions today. Sign up with the promo code DING, that's D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick first time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. $250, man, that's a lot. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the app store. And don't forget to register with our code DING, D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick and first time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. Must be 18 or older, 21 or older in Massachusetts, Arizona, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. Arizona, 1-800-NEXT-STEP. That's 1-800-639-8783. Or text next step to 53342. New York, call the 24-7 Hope Line at 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. Welcome to the first episode of Roos Kitchen, our Euphoria podcast. I am your host, Jason Madison, alongside Bethany Anderson and Anthony Mays. Welcome, guys. What's good? Cook something up. (laughs) We're here to talk about episode two, uh, I don't have the title of it, but out of touch, just like you right now, Jason, yeah, I'm out of touch. And as well as episode one, we're going to get a little recap of that. Maybe even season one and the intermediary season <laughs> that came with it. Yeah. Uh, euphoria guys. It's, it's all the rave. What's going okay, on? Okay. So I have a question when you have friends who have not seen euphoria and they say, why should I watch it? Right. What do you say? What do you say? Because it's kind of hard to explain to make someone say, oh, okay, yeah, I'll check that out. Do you like Hype Williams' music videos? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Have you ever wondered if Florida was a high school? Right. No, I I tell them, like, if you want to know what uh, teenagers are up to now, watch the show. That's usually usually what I tell you. Okay, so let's let's start there. (laughs) This is still very exaggerated. Yes. Every party in this show is cooler than any college party I ever went to. Yeah. So in some ways, yes. If you want to know what the youth are up to, I think this is an insight into that. But it's also a scary story. It's very dramatized. No, it's highly dramatized. I mean, the dad is like (laughs) the the worst version of the dramatization of the story, I think. But I think... (laughs) A lot of, uh, and I'm referring to Nate's dad, Cal, I think a lot of the emotions and the, you know, the drug use and the relationship aspects, and they've kind of taken the latchkey kid thing to the next highest degree. So I think that's kind of relatable to what kids are actually going through. Now, the actual drama of the show is, you know, yeah, like you said, I mean, it's it's a television show, it's highly stylized. 
it's it's very unrealistic in a lot of ways but i think there's a lot of things that kids these days will probably are probably related to i think but i don't know you, you know what i don't find it to be unrealistic at all i feel like it's it's so real and raw and I feel like it makes people uncomfortable because like these things are like really happening yeah. these days, especially like, you know, uh, I, I noticed how they have not mentioned that Jules is a trans girl. Right. They haven't used that vocabulary at all because I feel like this generation, this is just normal to them. So it's not something that is like such a big deal or a big topic or, you know, if Jules is going in to use the women's restroom, no one is flinching, no one is batting an eye because yeah. it's just so normal. But I feel like other generations just like, oh, this is, yeah. you know, no, I like- I took, I took a special note of that uh, in this episode, right? They and, and obviously they know what they're doing. They showed that shot where she's walking in the, when, in the restroom and it actually comes on the heels of the other scene, which kind of makes reference to what you were saying, where Rue, Elliot, and Jules are all standing there together. And, you know, he doesn't really bat an eye at the fact that she's her girlfriend. You know, he's just like, okay, you know, it's, it's more about the dynamic between them and Rue keeping the fact that they've been hanging out from Jules making it awkward, not the fact that this is a girl dating a trans or any of that. that None of that plays any factor in their relationships with each other. And I think that's uh, very interesting and obviously very progressive how they display it. Yeah, I see it as progressive. I like that word. Yeah. yeah. I binge watched Sex Education mm -hmm. with my girlfriend because she's really into that show, which is on Netflix, which is British comedy euphoria. Mm -hmm. It has the same type of sexual politics be that you're talking about. It yeah. brings in characters of all types to just kind of present different scenarios that those people would face and i think you're totally right this is a modern generation in that sense the part that i was saying was sensationalized is the drug use the party like uh, right that happens for sure i'm not saying it doesn't happen but <laughs> you know hype williams isn't directing your high school party and it's right. not happening every weekend that's all yeah no definitely not i mean the just the colors, the vibes, the whole like energy of the parties, you know. The uh, strobe lights. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess there's places where everybody has money, but you know, it's like everybody has money, everybody can buy what they wanna buy and show up when they wanna show up and do whatever. And that's like, I mean, that was a big part of my like high school experience was like, you had to pick pick up a friend because they couldn't do, you know what I'm saying? Do something or, you know, somebody needed 20 bucks to, to do this or whatever like it was a lot of things like that and they kind of eliminate a lot of that from the high school like experience even elliot having money because he sells stems online it's like because where do kids get all the money to buy this coke like you know what i'm saying i didn't have a cup <laughs> money in high school i have money to buy sneakers you know what i'm saying i was doing pretty well but i couldn't have bought sneakers and an eight ball like you know like but they have endless amounts of money apparently you know so like that's just an interesting you know portrayal on the show and of course like it's also tv so everybody's beautiful that's <laughs> that's the whole thing because you know in high school you got the ugly ducklings and people who feel you know and they they kind of get to that a little bit with like cast character but she's not nobody would say that she's ugly you know what i'm saying right she, she's a little overweight for what the standard the normal beauty standard would be but she's still a very attractive you know young woman so it's like 
everybody, you know, from top to bottom is like, should be on the cover of Vogue magazine, you know? So if you were to look at Euphoria High, because I can't remember what the name of their school is. Right, it's Euphoria is, High. Yeah, we're going to call it <laughs> Euphoria High School. Yeah. Um, is there anyone that you relate to or that you feel you have something in common with? No. <laughs> really? Like nothing? No, no, there's no, I mean, because no, nobody's into music. I mean, I guess the Elliot character is, but he, he's a drug addict and I didn't do drugs <laughs> in high school. Like, you know, like I don't really relate to any of their, like, you know, like McKay was, he played football, but he's kind of like a sheepish, like black kid. Like he didn't really have any type of charisma, which I thought was kind of an interesting way to portray him. Yeah, I mean, I like the way that Rue thinks and her like conversational style. And I think like that's probably the most relatable aspect of any of the characters to me. But other than that, yeah, like, I mean, even Fez seems like something out of a movie, like, uh, like the white kids who wanted to sell drugs were never that cool. You know what I'm saying? They were like, "Is Fez cool?" Yeah, he's the coolest person on the show. Really? <laughs> like, yeah. Without a doubt, yeah. he's the people's champ. I mean, yeah. as men, B, our choices are Nate, aka <laughs> Young Patrick Bateman. All right. So right. no, I don't relate to him, unfortunately. Then we've got Fezco, the drug dealer who owns a liquor store. Okay, scratch that one off. Then you basically got Ethan, who we know almost nothing about. That's what I was thinking. I would say him, but we don't really know anything about him. He's cute. He's funny. What is she? What else does she write about him? There you go. That's basically all of the male characters. Like the female characters are fantastic. And I guess if I had to relate to anyone, it would be Lexi. But Lexi is still friends with everyone. And sisters with cassie so i didn't have a sibling i you know i i was more bookish so i would be more in the lexi camp but it's it's not the most relatable show to me but i have a feeling you have an answer to this so what who do you relate to be <laughs> uh maddie and it's because i in high school dated the star football player he was a receiver who ended up uh being a quarterback he was an incredible athlete. I was an athlete myself, but um, it was a, it turned into a, a very abusive situation. And so like watching Maddie go through these different levels of like, I love him. I hate him. You know, it's just this weird um, manipulative character, it, you know, with Nate and the way that he's manipulating Maddie, I, I get it. Like hindsight, I see it. But when I was in it, you just, you can't see through the fog. You, you have someone who's literally playing the craziest mind games with you. So when it comes to that, I, I see myself really relating to the drama that, you know, she's, she has this back and forth. Like she knows that this guy is fucking nuts, but at the same time, she feels like her love in a way helps and heals him. Now, do we think that he's really pushing for this relationship to, to bounce back because it seems like their interactions were all negative until she helped him get to the hospital. He sent her a text thanking her, saying that he loves her probably because he was in a weak moment. And, you know, I mean, whatever, there's no excuse for him trying to 
you know, spark up those feelings in her, no matter how bad Fesco beat his ass. But um, he seems to be over that emotion now. And she's like, she was just waiting for one thing, it seemed like, to pull her back in. And now she seems like she's spearheading, you know, that that interaction. Yeah, her whole thing, you know, she was like, I think I'm going to get back with Nate. Yeah. And it's like, she's she wants someone to be like, girl, do not do that. But right. she wants to do it anyway. She But she's looking for someone to stop her. Right. Uh, but that's what a manipulator is going to do is just try to, you know, throw out little pieces of hope. Like, OK, we might be able to work things out like that text message meant a lot to her. And right. honestly, when I when he sent the text and I read it, I was like, oh, OK, whatever. But for her to be like, oh, he sent me the sweetest text. And it's mm-hmm. like, hmm, perspective. It's a low know? bar. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Very low bar. <laughs> but they always. The Maddie Nate thing, it seems like it's been off and on before the show even started. That just seems like one of those relationships that's constantly in flux. And Maddie, you know, she is abused, but she does throw her own fair share of punches. We get that nice little montage of her beating ass in this latest. Hell yeah. yeah. I like that. So the issue with that whole dynamic is Rue's omniscient narrator voiceover. Mm-hmm. where now in episode two we get nate was ne- has never been in love like this before and then we get a sex scene compilation <laughs> with cassie <laughs> and i'm like is this happening is this not happening are they actually fucking is does he have brain damage like she right. alludes to <laughs> what is going on am i just supposed to believe that he loves cassie now because that is really abrupt and yeah. it's especially considering everything we went through with with him and Maddie and with Cassie and McKay and last season. And we're just like, all right, well, what's the most dramatic thing we can do? Let's have him hook up with his ex-girlfriend's off and on girlfriend's best friend. Yeah, I, I think it was kind of playing to the teenage aspect of it, of him fast forwarding through all of the possibilities and what their life can be. And, you know, it's like when you're a kid, you feel like, oh, this is it. She's she's everything. And it's like, you guys hung out once, bro. <laughs> like, yeah. you know? You're both wasted. <laughs> yeah. So and you're driving like 115 miles an hour for an extremely long. What was going on there? Yo, <laughs> that scene stressed me out so bad. I was like, okay, they're getting in an accident. Like that's, that's why, cause I, you know, I remember seeing like the previews, like leading up to you know what uh season two was going to be about and they had you know a image of nate like bandaged up so in my mind i'm Mm. thinking okay this is probably going to be where he gets messed up i yeah that was a really intense moment for me i'm not really good with handling suspense (laughs) like (laughs) i honestly paused it (laughs) because yeah i had to stop because i was like okay i have to get my shit together right now yeah, no, that was that was a tense moment. I and I couldn't really understand like the psychology behind him doing that. But and the and the other suspenseful scene where uh Cassie uh Maddie's banging on the door right. of the bathroom trying to get in, and I'm just like, oh my god. Like the entire like episode one of season two, I was so uncomfortable, but I couldn't turn away. Like I had to pause it, of course, but it was just like, yo, every scene is gonna have me squirmish. Yeah. With Cassie in the bathtub and, you know, the fucking piss rag being thrown on her face. And, but yeah. I love like 
reading all the tweets and memes because <laughs> it makes me feel good that I was not the only one who was stressed the fuck out. Yeah, the tension in that scene was crazy. I, I mean, of course, I wanted the payoff to be Maddie finding out that it was Cassie, but you know, they they realized like, hey, we can keep stringing this along for <laughs> as long as we like. That's what they're doing. Obviously, I think the big reveal this season will be whenever Maddie finds out and what the fallout of that is going to be. I don't know if they're going to wait till the finale, but we've seen Maddie uh, go off before. She did in the carnival last year. You know, Maddie's with the shit. She's ready to, she doesn't <laughs> care. She yeah. wants to cause a scene. She yeah. doesn't care who's watching, who's listening, she what she's smoke. wearing. Yeah. She's ready. She wants all the smoke. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so what what year in high school are they? Because I... <laughs> so... <laughs> That's that the is a good thing. question. Because I feel like Nate is a senior. But Rue He's supposed to have played his last game, right? That That's happened right. last year. So he's yeah, probably he a senior. Yeah. I think they said something about Cassie in her sophomore year. So I think Cassie's a junior. I feel like we're dealing with mostly juniors and seniors, but this is still just the first year of euphoria in terms of the school year. Right. Mm -hmm. Even though everybody is almost two years older than they were when we started, but we're just, yeah. you know, that's just a natural <laughs> high school show problem. We're just going to move on. Yeah. And then that, that made me think like, how long do you guys think the show could go on? Will it continue past the high school aspect or is it, is the show trapped by that, I that standard? I feel like they have so much potential to introduce new characters like they're doing right now with, mm. um, you know, with Elliot's character and Travis, uh, AKA Meech, <laughs> Lil Meech. Oh yeah, Lil Meech, yeah. yeah. Yeah, do you think that was just like a little one episode cameo? Or do you think he's gonna come I hope I, I wanna see more. Um, Cause I've been seeing people complain that there's not enough black people on this show. I don't have that complaint because this show is so dramatic and I don't know if I really care to see like- One of our people involved in that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, yeah. I don't no, think I, I wanna see that. I love the fact that like the Fez and like Faye situation isn't like two black people or a black person like yeah either one of them so um, yeah well like Travis is out of school right yes yeah he's like a producer I guess yeah. he's you know he well, graduated he's long and ago McKay, McKay keeps coming back to high school parties like a fucking loser <laughs> yeah like that's what <laughs> I thought like in the season one is it wasn't he worried about like going to college and going to certain yeah. school or whatever that was his storyline so I'm like he's coming back to hang out with these kids <laughs> I think your question B gets to is this a show about Rue or is this a show about high school and I definitely feel like it's a show about Rue. So okay. I would say that it's got maybe maybe four years. But the way that since one year was just one semester of high school, they could they could stretch it out. It'll be weird as they get older and older, but weirder things have happened. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think this is like Degrassi, where it's like they're going to hand off the baton to a new generation of troublemakers at Euphoria High. You know what? I'm going to say this. I honestly don't think Rue is going to last. I think she oh. is going, her character is going to kill herself. Whoa. And you think the show will go on without her? Yep. 
Making such a bold prediction in our first episode, B. <laughs> you got to learn from the show. You got to let this Maddie Cassie Yo. situation play out. You can't just drop all the heat right away. Yeah, Look, she is doing the big H, dog. Like, come on. <laughs> that is some wild shit. Like, all those prescription pills and drugs she was doing before. Now, the, oh, she is. Did she do she the is, big H or was she just, was it just in front of her with the, the blonde crackhead girl that's now a character. I mean, I, I thought she, she did it. The, she kept the ten. I thought she did know. it when she was when she was with Elliot. She hasn't done it yet though, but there, she's got it. Is what you're saying? But okay, so in the first episode when she was with <laughs> Elliot and uh, they were in the washroom and her heart rate was low, wasn't that because she was doing the heroin or what drug was making her heart rate that low? That's that? what I thought it was. I thought it was heroin yeah. for sure. I thought she did his drugs in the laundry room. But she came in already, already on drugs. Right, but something was slowing her heart rate, and that was that's why I thought that she was on heroin, and then that she needed the coke to. Yeah, because she was hiding from Jules at the party. She went and laid out in the car just to kind of get away. Rolled over and saw that Altoids tin and opened it up. And the next thing we see is her mm. getting out and just kind of like mm. fucked up. Yeah. Maybe it's implied that she did it. Maybe she didn't. I. Yeah, mm. that's that's what I gathered. But I guess then uh, that brings something else up. Uh, my big question is, what happened between her and Jules between episode one and two? Like they weren't together, right? They were sitting apart at the fire, and they were just like, "Did I miss something?" I, Please tell I gotta me. be honest with you, Jay. I had such a hard time remembering what the hell was going on when I put on this first episode. Of <laughs> yeah, two. me too. It's been two years. Yeah. I watched. I watched most of the episode with her and Ali in the diner. Yeah. But then I was like, oh, this is literally just gonna be them talking for forty minutes. So then it I was, was like, it was incredible. Eh. It was incredible. But then I wasn't oh, fired up to watch the the Hunter Shaper episode. Yeah, no, I listen, I'm actually on the same exact train with you and got off on the same exact stop. I, I but I did enjoy and I, I think Coleman Domingo is a great actor. And I think that uh, episode with him was amazing. And, and the presentation of his character was incredible. The, the, the back and forth they had, the speeches that he was given. I mean, he was just uh, just incredible. He but was. but it wore me out. <laughs> like, <laughs> and. and and I had no enthusiasm by the end of the episode to keep watching the show. Honestly, I was like, oh, I don't want to see any more of these. Like, as much as I thought that was like an interesting acting exercise from a, you know, director perspective, like, I, this is just edging on the side of boredom. And like, if they keep doing these one-off narratives, like, I kind of don't have much interest in them. So, yeah, when they did the Jules one, I didn't watch it. Like, I didn't either. <laughs> I didn't watch that one either. Yeah, so our bad. But like, one, <laughs> um, you know, I guess that's our homework for the next episode. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, from the end of episode one, they're sitting around the campfire outside of the party. There seems to, it seems as though they have broken up. There's an obvious distance between them that they're not, even if they're together, they're not getting along in the relationship. And the very next episode, it's like everything's all right. Like, okay, we're together, we're a couple. Like, did I miss something in between there? Yes. So um, what we saw at the end of season one was Jules getting on the train 
and leaving without Rue. Mm -hmm. From what I have gathered, Jewel's episode, her solo episode, um, she was really upset because she felt like Rue was going to relapse because she was no longer there. She realized that there was an unhealthy dynamic going on that, you know, Rue was definitely codependent. You yeah, know, Jules like, is her latest drug. Yeah. Right. Yep. So she was able to stay clean because, you know, she wanted to impress Jules and she wanted to do that for Jules. But now that Jules is gone, it's like she relapsed. And, and so at the campfire at this New Year's Eve party, you know, she could obviously tell like, yeah, damn, she is high. And she asked her, when did you relapse? And she said, when you left. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they end up, you know, she apologized, Rue apologized to uh, Jules about being so, I guess, brash about that, like kind of putting it all on her. Like, you mm -hmm. know, she was like, you know, that's fucked up for me to say that. But, you know, yeah, I did relapse. But she wants to be with Jules. And so they kissed and made up basically. And then they got to see Nate get his ass beat. So it's kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> I guess I guess seeing Nate get his ass beat is like kind of like the communal. It's really like, unifying act. Yeah. 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 Everybody together. <laughs> yeah. For um, those that know what's happening, for Rue to put two and two together, that Nate is a nasty motherfucker and <laughs> an evil motherfucker. So yeah. Yeah, that was a very, uh, that was a moment that brought them two together. And so that's what we see in episode two is like, okay, we're back together, but who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> right. Now, I think that's the most interesting thing I've seen on the show so far is this dynamic. And it brings a lot of questions, intrigue, uh, just a lot of interesting things just about young people about our world and the dynamic of men women trans dating all of that you know we can kind of start to see like seeds of jealousy from jewels about their friendship and is does that have something to do with you know the sexuality and his being cisgender and her it maybe being worried about her wanting to date a man and you know mm -hmm. like all of that stuff um i think will be very interesting uh topics and ideas for them to explore and is questions that i think a lot of people who are in these dating worlds have and are dealing with you know like people who are pansexual or bisexual or non-binary people and you know all of these things that are uh, now becoming prevalent and um, more widely accepted in our society are going to create new dating triangles and new interesting issues and situations for people. You know, what I found very interesting was uh, after Rue had her NA meeting, you know, mm -hmm. the one she showed up high as hell and took the little electric chair up <laughs> upstairs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> afterwards, when Ali was driving Rue home and he suggested that he, you know, come in and meet her mom, immediately I was like, I need to know more about Jules' mom. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I would love to hear a backstory about, you know, how she was as a teenager, when she met her husband, when she became a mom, how she lost her husband, and like the, the struggle that she's had with losing her partner to cancer and then having two young girls who are out here low-key like you know one is out way out here but the other one is slowly acting like she wants to you know follow in her sister's footsteps but the moment she met Ali I was like okay there's something here and I really hope we get a chance to see what's happening because when Ali left she was like oh he's cute and I'm like mm. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I want to see this because 
people don't ever talk about people who are clean, who have, you know, who suffer from addiction, who are clean and what dating is after that, you right. know, as they're trying to, you know, continue their sobriety. Cause yeah. you know, we see Ali at every meeting he's present, right. he's on time, he's on top of his shit. And even in that episode where it's just him and Rue, I guess he, he said that he was 20 years clean, but mm-hmm. he actually wasn't. He, you know, had a, a year and a half of where he was yeah. not clean and then got back clean. And, you know, just his whole dynamic with his two daughters. And, you know, I don't even know Rue's mom's name, but she has two daughters Mm -hmm. and what they have in common. I would love to see this turn into more. I really think it's a dope dynamic. Yeah, maybe we'll get more of that because I saw the preview for next episode and we get a flashback of Nate's dad. Yeah, we get to see Cal. (laughs) Young Cal. We might get get Rue's mom hopefully somewhere along the, the season. Um, I thought also this episode had probably the most interesting reveal to me of uh, the whole show. Uh, basically, Elliot putting together, hey, you started doing drugs when your dad died. And it right. was, and you know, obviously, like he handled it in the most, in the kindest way possible, right? And he was just like, yeah, sure, you know, the shit just happens. Like, we won't assign blame or say that that's the causation for that you know he's like i understand but obviously it was obvious to anybody watching like oh her dad died and then she got she fell into this habit you know but i did really like her response and i do think it is more complicated than call and response and she said you know like it's who she is to a degree at least that's who how she self-identifies so it if her dad hadn't died something else might have pushed her there I mean, she was doing drugs. She's been, you know, being prescribed drugs her entire life for her OCD or whatever disorder that she had, you know, as a kid. I actually went back and watched all of season one before the season began. And I I had to really, um, I paid attention to uh, details because this group of kids were born around 9-11. So they came into a very high strung society. Mm -hmm. And, you know, also this generation, they've been heavily medicated from if there's anything wrong with you, oh, we have a pill for that. Or we have a drug for that. We have something for whatever may be wrong with you. And so Rue, she's been literally taking drugs her whole life and taking some of her dad's drugs when he was you know going through his treatment so this is really like her life that's all she really knows is taking drugs right well I guess more to the point of what I what I was trying to say and I think it's even expressed with Ali driving her home is that if she had a father figure who Ali is kind of becoming in this in a way she wouldn't be this far down the road it seems as though mm-hmm. um not to say that yeah she would have never taken a drug if her father hadn't died but it seems like the lack of a father figure left a huge hole in her life and now Ali is the first person to try to you know assume any sort of mentorship role in her life and care about her in a way that a father might but yeah it's not to say that she would not have ever done a drug but right. that that missing that that dad is is you know it's causing her some strife that's so dope i like that perspective because now it makes me feel like if ali and her mom dates yeah that's a huge person that's going to be holding her accountable in this b i think you're getting a little too swept up in the fantasy romance (laughs) of ali coming in dating a single mom this is euphoria (laughs) after all yeah and what i liked about 
the one-on-one in the diner episode was we get a peek behind the curtain of Ali and we learn that he really has a lot of guilt about his family and his daughters and his lack of presence in their life at times and I think currently and so yeah dad you know he starts dating her mom or something like that seems like it could be good but one she's gonna hate it and hate it she's gonna hate it and it's not like that's gonna spackle over all the things but I I do I do like what you said about wanting to know more about the mom they kind of make the parents one-dimensional in the show there's not a whole lot of depth to it but one of my favorite things that the show does do is the deep dive into the past I thought the one for Fezco in the first episode was amazing and it was unexpected and you learned so much more and it was very helpful because like I said, I didn't remember a whole ton about the first. So I wasn't, it wasn't even in my head that like, oh yeah, he's got the grandma in the room and like they didn't, they just dropped that in season one. Don't explain it. But that whole thing was beautiful. The more they do that for more of the characters, I'm on board. Yes. So I follow Angus Cloud who plays Fesco and he revealed that in a GQ interview that they were going to kill his character off in season one. Wow. But he he carved out a role thanks to his own charisma and the fact that he looks like (laughs) Mac Miller and they (laughs) brought him back for season two. I mean, yeah, that that was definitely one of his his saving graces. But I I think like the fact that the show revolves around uh, heavily revolves around drug use and ruse druggies to not show the other side of that will be a crime. And so yes. thank God that his performance was so, you know, electric for the show and they they decided to keep him on because I feel like the show would be imbalanced if it wasn't for him. Right. And that yeah, was the thing from season one was like Fezco, the drug dealer with the heart of gold. And what this backstory showed us was that he never had a choice. Yep. <laughs> this all just happened to him. And it was because of other fucked up adults and, you know, Ashtray just gets dropped off. <laughs> like Harry Potter just yeah. left on their doorstep and then that's their life. And so you can see how he does have the heart and it made it justified. And I loved it. Yeah, no, I thought that was actually one of my favorite things the show's ever done too. Like that backstory was great. Even the, you know, the grandmother hitting him with the crowbar and her, you know, falling into depression because of that. And like, I just thought it was perfect. You know, it, it illustrates how his character arrived at this point. Like, greatly yeah fez was uh or angus cloud was picked off the street um was asked to audition based off of just how he looked and you know i'm sure the scar added a little bit more uh character to him yeah um but how they played into that like hey he has this huge scar in his head what can we do to point this out and make this a part of his story because that I guess that's how we get the so chill and just like low key cool Fez. Cause I mean, I'm big <laughs> time shipping Fez and Lexi, man. Yeah. Yes. Give, me, give yeah. me the weirdest possible romance out of this cast. I'll take it. I'm in. <laughs> now I didn't like, I mean, obviously this is the show. They got to draw it out, but like she walks in and he's like, Oh yeah. Faye, she's just staying with me. Like, dude, just say that's my homeboy's girl, like, whatever, like, now you're making her feel all weird, like, you know, but 
obviously it's he a show. He doesn't know that. He doesn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Obviously it's a show. They're teenagers. I get it. But it's like in that moment, I'm like, bro, just say that's your homie's girl because she's looking at you hella weird for that. You know? Yeah, they can't they can't let them get too close in episode two. No. But yeah, I no. love the idea of Lexi dressing cute, heading across town to the liquor store, you know, just gonna go see my crush. Yeah. They then end up buying a drink and nearly witnessing a murder on the way because it's euphoria. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and that was the other thing is like, I mean, Cal, how do you, Cal, what the how fuck do you, you feel doing, about dude? Lexi not saying anything to Fez? She about knows. Cal. She knows. That's what it's I'm saying. Crazy. Shouldn't she, if she likes Fez in any type of way, shouldn't she be trying to protect him from getting murdered right there? Or is she just like, I'm just not going to say anything. Okay. So in that situation, what should she have done? <sighs> That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess tap. He knows about color. Nate. Yeah, tap him on the shoulder, whisper in his ear. Yeah, he knows about Nate. that's Nate's dad. Like it, anything, like I mean, Ashtray was ready to go anyways. So <laughs> yeah, he was, he was TTG. He they had could tell they could tell it wasn't good. What was yeah. going down? But yeah, I, he had the Glock in the Frosted Flakes box. He was <laughs> ready to pop off. Like ready uh, to go. Yeah, for sure. So what do we think is uh is gonna happen this season with? with our favorite teenagers from <laughs> Euphoria High. So, you know, I already gave my prediction, but I don't know if this is going to happen this season. Mm-hmm. But at some point, I think Rue, she is just, she's so far gone. It's ugly. I don't see this really turning around for her. I just see her just getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah, I see her dating Elliot and it going good for about, Point two seconds and then she, she probably overdoses because he's her provider i mean to add credence to b's explosive theory <laughs> the omniscient narrator voiceover has always thrown me off and it does always sound like the voice of a dead person who knows everything and is coming back to tell you the story of her high school experience so wow. i'll give you that i like that but I also, much like it would be foolish to kill off Jeremy Strong, Jason, from Succession, okay. right, you can't right. take Zendaya out of this shit. Yeah. He's, she's so much more famous than anyone on the show. It would have to be either setting up the end game of the show as a whole or, like, the very last episode. Yeah. yeah. I just feel like what if she decides, like, okay, I've outgrown this. Now people just see me as a junkie because they only know me from Disney stuff and this. What if, you know, there's more? Oh, well, you know, she was in Spider-Man. So yeah, I was going to say, she's... Can't, can't say that. <laughs> yeah, but... she's in Spider-Man. She's got Dune, Dune Part 2. She's going to crush that. She's so doing real well for a, herself. We talked about this a little bit um, with Amin and, and Jerv, where with Zendaya, though, her character as Rue and MJ are kind of similar. Do you guys think so? I mean, like, as far as like yeah. her humor, her, like her, her yeah, I swag? think I think Zendaya, like a lot of movie stars, and she's actually, I believe, a good actress, but a lot of movie stars, they get roles that cater to their personality, you know? And this is the reason why, uh, you know, Robert Downey Jr. works so well as Iron Man or, you know, right. Tom Cruise in any number of his roles or whatever, like people write things because Zendaya is a star and they cast her in the best of the 20 scripts that somebody wrote that 
formulate around her personality. So yeah, I do see those similarities. I agree with you 100%. Um, I think Dune might be like the furthest thing away from like who she is. But yeah, I, I think she'll continue to get roles like that and continue to play characters that are, you know, this like kind of whimsical, like funny, cute girl, like, you know. Um, Did you guys check out Malcolm and Marie? I was just yeah. gonna ask you about that. Yeah, I would say that's probably the furthest she's gone from playing type. Yeah. But even then, her character was like, she used to be on drugs. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah. What did you guys think of that movie, by the way? I loved it. Yeah. Fine, yeah. I, I don't know. I, it was okay. I, I have trouble with movies that I can't watch again. And that movie is definitely on that list. Like, there's no reason for me to really introduce that film to anybody or rewatch it myself. Like, it's, it would kind of be like painful. But the writing was, was <laughs> well done for the most part. And like the other thing was, it, which is the same writer director as Euphoria, so yeah. that's why she was on drugs in the past. Yeah. <laughs> My other issue is like when white writers write certain black characters, and the way John David Washington was written in that movie, it was like distinctly not black enough for anybody i think that would be in that position that's just my personal uh opinion i mean i again i think the writing was fine it's just it's hard to um fully understand and navigate the black experience especially when you're like having people argue and like there's certain isms that would have been released that he's probably not privy to so i feel like a certain like inauthenticity when stuff like that is done but i think zendaya has a lot of talent and I think that just Rue and MJ are really toning down her glam and mm. trying yeah. to make her more androgynous and relatable mm -hmm. as a female character. Whereas I don't see that holding for her entire career. And I'm sure there's going to be plenty of roles she gets where she gets to do a little bit more than just be witty and cool and have lots of hair covering most of her face but yeah dune part two should be interesting on that jason because obviously in dune part one doesn't really get to do much because it's mostly just dream sequences <laughs> yeah so i'm excited for dune part two i think that'll be a good showcase for her to do something different yeah I, um i thought dune was cool but the first time i saw it i was pissed off because she wasn't in the movie like they got gotcha. you um, <laughs> yeah they got this like, Zendaya hive to show yeah. up and they're like where's our girl guess what come back next time yeah i'm totally <laughs> team zendaya zendaya hive all the way like i love everything she does i think she's amazing and i watched the movie for two hours waiting for her like where is she at and i'm like you guys where is she where is she where is she where's martha <laughs> So yeah, uh, I'm excited for Dune 2 because apparently that's her movies. But as far as Euphoria, my favorite characters, Fez, we got his episode. He probably won't do a whole lot. I mean, he'll be at war with the Jacobs clan, but okay. Jules, love Jules so much. If she's going to get her heart broken, like I think Jason just said she's going to date Elliot. Rue's going to date Elliot. So that that's going to be heartbreaking for my girl Jules. I don't know if I'm going to enjoy that. Those are the two characters I'm most interested in. You miss me with this whole Nate, Cassie, Maddie, love triangle shit. Come on, man. We know how this is going to play out. Everybody's going to lose. I see I see a possibility that if Rue and Ellie get together and Rue and Jules break up, 
that Cat and Jules could possibly be a thing. Not saying that it's for sure, but there's an interesting thing with Cat not liking, you know, Ethan. He's a sweet boy. I mean, she wants the Dothraki guy, but it seems like she just wants to explore her freedom and who knows where that'll take her. But I think she's the most interesting character to me. Uh, she started off selling sex on the internet and now she's trying to be a housewife. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, Don't we all? <laughs> yeah. So the most relatable I'm, story. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I'm interested to see where her story goes. I really like what they what they do with her character. I think it's I do agree with you, Maze. I think it is she's the most relatable person on the show. I love Kat. I like her storyline. Um, I'm interested to see where they're gonna take this whole thing with her and Ethan because as a as a woman, I feel like a, a huge part of her disconnect with Ethan is that he isn't putting it down in the bedroom. Oh man, I he mean she's just bringing yeah. the heat. She's <laughs> lying to her friends about their sexual experiences. Like, oh yeah, he ripped my clothes off and like girl no he's not doing that you right. want him to that's why you having daydreams of you know <laughs> getting your back blown out right because you really wish that ethan would just come in and just put it down she would honestly i feel like if he came in and was putting it down she would have no issues because sex is a part of her validation right so i wonder on that front she's had a pretty experimental sexual past We've seen yeah. it. Ethan, like I said, we don't know a whole lot about this dude. He was a virgin. He was a they, virgin. So I see. So up. in terms of Ethan needs to come in and put it down, isn't that a little bit unfair to Ethan here? Yeah, it is. He's just he's just getting his training wheels in this apartment, and his girl is a cam girl. Right. He's about to get his heart broken. Mm. Yeah. It was already pretty painful for me to watch him get froze out of that bowling date, you know? Anytime you expect <laughs> to get a nice one-on-one -on -one bowling date with the girl, and then she just calls her friends and turns it into a girl's night, and you just sit there like an idiot, not knowing how to act. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, that was wild. Your turn, your turn, babe. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> that's not going anywhere. You know, I want to see what happens with Kat. I think that's the thing I'm most interested in. You know, I don't really have any love for like Cassie and that storyline as much as that. It's kind of like the centerpiece of the show right now. Like just personally, I just I don't know. I don't love the Cassie character. I don't care as much about her. I don't know if it's just because she's like a typical white girl. Like, I, I don't know. She, <laughs> she has daddy issues. She yeah. is seriously searching for male validation. And at this time in her life, she doesn't care who it comes from. And right. for her to, you know, be turned on at the fact that Nate wants her, like, girl, you are out here lost. But at the same time, you know, she is still low key healing emotionally from having an abortion with McKay. Right. So, Which I did not. I'm glad that Fesco whooped Nate's ass, but I wanted McKay to whoop his ass so bad. Like, <laughs> why would you let him press you so hard like that in the party, bro? Like, Oh, that just got on my nerves. Like, I hate how they make the black kid in the show like so like, like, I don't know, like I would never let a white guy talk to me like that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like that's my quarterback. Yeah, I was my teammate. <laughs> no way. And you're older, you're in college, bro. Like, how are you letting just just go to college, McKay? <laughs> yeah, like that got on oh, my nerves. He killed so he that really, really annoyed me season one. I'm like, dog, you 
I know you went to like the craziest high school party scene of all time, but there's plenty of stuff happening in college. You do not need to be driving home every weekend. But you know, he was pledging and had you know was violated a couple times. And he did get violated. I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, so he he's he's not feeling college at all yeah. on all fronts. He's not getting any playing time. Right, right. <laughs> he has to drink goldfish shots. Yeah. Uh, and then he got his his you know frat brothers coming in and and fucking with him real bad mm. in front of his girl like ugh. yeah we need little niece to come come back man we need him on the show i need <laughs> i need a strong black male presence on the show <laughs> at least even if it's some ignorance behind <laughs> it uh what i do love about this show and i've seen people talk about this online i love the music and it's just like every episode is jam-packed with a lot of a lot of uh, songs, but what someone said, I can't remember who I read this tweet from. They were like, "You can tell that the music department is headed by like you know thirty somethings. There's right. no way that you know this generation would be listening to that." And it's like, uh, no. Who cares? Who cares? Yeah, it's also know. like last year or last season in the Halloween episode, everybody showed up with pop culture reference costumes that kids their age would not know about like yeah all right people are making this show it's fine right <laughs> yeah I, but, I will admit i was thrown off by the uh tupac uh rude thing like it was it just felt a little weird i'm like i, I can't see it kid yo maybe maybe but i'm I from the south okay and i moved to vegas what almost 12 years ago if i never hear hit em up california love um, what's Ice Cube? You can do it. Put your back. I don't want to hear them. They play them on the radio like they're brand new, brand new. My son knows these songs now, and it's like yeah, it's no, not radio. too far fetched. No, it's not radio, too far fetched for these kids Sorry. to not to not know these to not know these songs. They're getting played on the regular, especially these some California kids. Yeah, they're getting it. <laughs> but yeah, shout out to the music supervisor Jen Malone. Saw this tweet on the timeline after the season premiere. It's a photo of Jimmy Butler. He's very tired. He's worn out. Yeah. He yeah. said, Euphoria Music Supervisor after 45 songs in the first episode of season two. <laughs> and they did it. They did 45 songs. That's nuts. Yeah, there's a lot of music cues in <laughs> Oh, my Lord. This show, yeah. Uh, and yeah. like you said, be like, they're all pretty dope. Like, the songs I haven't heard from new artists, the old songs, like, they play a lot of old, older music too, like a lot of classic, like rock songs. There's a lot of different soul songs, and I think honestly, the writer Sam Levison, he has a lot to do with that because everything that I've ever seen him do, he mm. always incorporates old music, yeah, especially like jazz or R&B, soul, funk. Because mm. even in Malcolm and Marie, you know, you got John David Washington just singing like random James Brown songs or whoever. And it's like, okay, he has a, a certain ear for music and he wants these songs to be in his show. Shorty, she got she got a job, okay? Yeah. <laughs> it's a killer vibe though. I think that's one of the strongest elements of the show. Like, you know, the music, the cinematography, the lighting, um, Zendaya, you know, those are probably the strongest elements of the show that make it special. That's what popped also, to me, the style. Like yeah. Sam Levinson's got a very distinct style. The movie he made, Assassination Nation, is basically a euphoria pilot. Mm -hmm. And 
while he might have a great sense of music and talented eye when it comes to filmmaking, he also has the eyes of a man who's done a lot of drugs. Yeah. He's done his research there as well. Yeah. He's, <laughs> like like uh, Michael Mann is with guns. He... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that same level. <laughs> yeah, I'm like the Michael Mann of of drugs. That's my. That's on a business card. Sorry, B. What were you gonna say? No. So I think um, I read something. So Euphoria convinced Kodak to revive an old factory to produce, and I cannot pronounce this uh, type of film. Mm. Um, but this is all. All of season two is film. It's Kodak shot, put no. some. Yeah. Yeah. So. That, that's like a very interesting thing because uh, I think, well, I know Westworld is shot on film. Um, not a lot of shows get shot on film anymore. It's extremely expensive. Uh, I worked in post-production for about five years and I worked on shows like Westworld and other HBO shows. Um, it was crazy because, you know, when I was getting out of college, like in film, like everything was very slowly transitioning from film to digital, from 35 millimeter to digital. And it went from slowly to all at once. And basically now nobody shoots film, like movies, anything. Uh, I mean, there's probably less than 10% of the media content that gets put out big studio or not is shot on film. So for a show like this to shoot on film, get Kodak to, you know, go in their archives and pull, you know, whatever, uh, you know, film reels that they made available for the show is a big deal. And it, and it costs a shit ton of money. You know, that's the big thing as well as like shooting digital, you can shoot all day, but shooting film is very expensive. It's expensive to process all those machines, all the stuff that they use to process and color and, um, you know, edit film. Uh, most of those machines are gone now. And so now they have to reprocess it and do all these things. But what we get is a great product, you know, and it's, I think it's worth it. You know, it's, you know, the purest, the Christopher Nolan in me, you know, the Martin Scorsese, like, I love to see things that are shot on film. I think it means something. I'm glad Sam, Sam Levinson made that choice made HBO, you know, cough up the money. And HBO is one of the few uh, production studios that are willing to do that. Like I said, they did it with Westworld, but not a lot of other production studios are willing to go that extra mile nowadays. It's beautiful. As an actor or actress, whatever you want to call, um, I would feel super afraid. Like I have to be on point because you can't keep doing take after take. Like you're not going to waste this film. Like you really got to come in and be on top of your game. Mm -hmm. Do you think they even know though? The kids? Yeah. They probably don't know to the what the uh, severity or the extremeness of kids these days don't know how much things cost. Pete. Yeah, they don't. They don't know. <laughs> no, nor do they probably care. Right? They're they're focused on trying to get a good performance, but they probably don't know what it took to get. But the, are the they kids? Up. But are they kids? No. <laughs> no, no, they're not. <laughs> don't ruin it for B B. I thought they were all in high school for real. Yeah, which, Cat is like, 16, okay? Okay. Right, right. So it's like, maybe maybe we'll get to the point where this like Saved by the Bell and they do the college years. I don't know. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, I don't think I'm here for that. Okay, Rue's going to die next season at the end of the season. That's <laughs> We're sticking with that. B's definitely right about that. I mean, I just, it's only a matter of time, but yeah. it's 
It's a risky move to do it when they do it, but we'll see. We'll see what happens this year. They got plenty more drama to milk out of Rue and Jules and Elliot's love triangle. We got another love triangle. We got Cassie and Nate and Maddie. We've got Ethan the Virgin trying to get his his game right, <laughs> keep his girl happy, and all the other characters. Tune in again next week for Rue's Kitchen with Bethany Anderson, Jason Madison, and me, Anthony Mays.